Welcome to Just Mything Around, a student-driven podcast recorded by high school students as part of their English 2530 dual enrollment mythology course. In each episode, a pair of students will explore a particular person, concept, god, creature, or thing from across world mythology. In this episode, Caitlin and Kalia go deep into the Egyptian underworld. They talk about why the concept of an underworld and the hope of reincarnation into the afterlife was so important to April. In this episode, Caitlin and Kalia go deep into the Egyptian underworld. They talk about why the concept of an underworld and the hope of reincarnation into the afterlife was so important to ancient Egyptians, explain the process of the weighing of the souls, and tell a story about Osiris that sounds a little fishy. All right, welcome to Just Mythin' Around. My name's Caitlin, and I'm here with Kalia. Hi. Kalia is a wonderful person. We really like Kalia here. Yes, yes, definitely. <laughs> to open up the conversation, I wanted to ask, since we both kind of had to do a little bit of research, Egyptian mythology isn't something that's on the baseline of everyone's brains, like Greek, maybe. Um, what did you find that was most interesting that you learned about the Egyptian underworld, or also known as the Duat? Uh, or how did you compare it to other mythologies? Okay. This, I feel like the Egyptian underworld exists a little differently in their perception than other underworlds and other cultures because, like, they view it as happening in the same space as our world, but just on a different level, I guess, on a more spiritual level. Um, so I found that really cool. Like their underworld is basically just Egypt, but like not. So I liked that. Yeah, I agree with you there. I did think that was really interesting how basically you die and you can still see the real world. It's just mm -hmm. like this whole new plane of existence that now exists to you. Right. Um, I'm going to take my turn answering the question that I asked. Uh, I thought it was really interesting learning about like the judgment ritual and how they perceived like how good of a person you were. I thought it was really interesting that they literally used an example, like a piece of the God of judgment, the goddess of judgment mm -hmm. to kind of uh, weigh against uh, how moral you were. Yeah. I, I also liked how they took, they took your heart. But then they were like, the person whose heart they took, they were like, oh, please, heart, don't tell them I was a bad person. As if the heart, you know, was inclined to do that to them. Yeah, doing a little bit of research on the mummification process, that's where they believed like all of your intelligence, your feelings, like everything kind of was centered in the heart because it's the only piece of you that they left during mummification. They took out all the other organs. So, okay. Kind of tying that in, I thought it was really cool, too. Yeah. So would you like to walk us through the process of mummification? All right. Since it's the first thing that happens after you yes. die, I will gladly do that. Um, The reason I focused on mummification for my research is because I think it's a, lot, a thing that a lot of people know about that the Egyptians did, but they don't really realize the importance behind it. Um. So the first thing that happens uh, after you die, 
is if you were wealthy, at first they didn't believe in like mummifying everybody who was Egyptian uh, because they believed that the afterlife was only something for the wealthy or the kings or the people who were like higher up on the ladder deserved. So, but later on, it kind of got normalized that, oh, maybe normal people can go to this place too. Yeah. So it first starts with removing all of the organs from the body. Of course, like I mentioned earlier, they do keep the heart. Uh, that's where they believed everything was really concentrated, uh, like feelings and everything. Now that we know it's that it's not true that nothing, <laughs> not everything comes from the heart. It's an important organ. But then after that, they kind of preserve your body with salt. And there's this uh, really cool ritual that they do afterwards. Uh, it's called the opening of the mouth ceremony. So basically they take, I didn't do a whole bunch of like in-depth to what the tools were called, but they took some of like the ritualistic tools and would basically touch them to the eyes, the mouth, parts of the face to kind of activate the senses uh, mm. in preparation for the underworld. So when you got to the underworld, you weren't just like a flesh bag. You could okay. actually feel and taste and like see things. And then afterwards, they wrapped you up. And for the wealthy, they uh, got huge tombs. A lot of people really know about these. But inside of the tombs, they would actually place um, things that this person may wanted to carry into the afterlife, like uh, weapons and heirlooms. If they had a pet, their pets would also be mummified with them and placed mm -hmm. into the tombs. And in these tombs, uh, spells were also written along the walls and passages from the Book of the Dead were also placed inside the tomb with them. And these spells were basically things that would help them be guided throughout the afterlife and basically make sure that they were able to pass through all of the dangers and all that fun stuff before you could <laughs> get to the part where they actually judge you. Right. I think it's interesting that even, like, I think it's very aptly named the afterlife because some cultures are like, oh, yeah, you die, and then what you do after that isn't really much of anything. But the Egyptians were like, no, you have to travel through this barren wasteland fighting for your death, mm -hmm. and maybe you'll end up actually having a peaceful time, or you'll just get your heart eaten. So and just never exist again. Yeah, yeah, never exists. Maybe. Maybe you're a good person. Maybe you deserve this. Maybe. And even if you are a good person, what if you just don't get that far? Yeah. But I think they really tried. They really tried because, like, with the weapons and stuff, all the rich people had, like, even statues of their servants. Oh. Who, uh, so these statues would basically represent their servants' uh, wisdom and guidance and kind of aid their spirit along with that another interesting part i want to talk about is how the egyptians viewed the spirit so basically there are three main three three main parts to the spirit mm -hmm. um but you start out with just two you have the ka and the ba the ka is basically the part of your soul which is like your life force this is the part that's going to venture to the afterworld or the afterlife the duat and is going to go through all these trials to get to judgment. And then there's the Ba. The Ba stays on Earth until the heart is proven 
um, that it is worthy of going into kind of the Egyptian heaven. So this ball part stays on earth and it is basically represented to be you, but with a bird body. So like a human head, but a bird body. Okay. Um, and this kind of bird thing just, just sits around and waits for your soul to be saved, I guess, uh, okay. from eternal destruction. And then um, once you pass the judgment, your soul is transformed into Akka, which Akka is the part uh, that is kind of the purest part of your soul. It's where the Ba is actually able to go into the afterlife and kind of integrate itself with the Ka. And okay. the name uh, actually has something to do with like the goddess Mat, the judgment goddess. Uh, if you're found to have Mat Keru, then you are, you gain the Aka, which basically means you're a good person. It's a little, it's a little complicated to explain on a surface level, but as long as you get what I'm saying. I do. I think it's really cool that like the soul isn't just this one thing to them. I feel like they see a lot of things as layers. Yeah. And I also think it's really funny that one of those parts of the soul is just you with a bird body. Yeah. That's yeah. that's fun to imagine. I um kind of wanted to talk about someone who encapsulates the afterlife. Um and he didn't originally, but oh boy, does he. And that is Osiris. Um, before he was really associated with the afterlife, he was a fertility god. And he still remains so. But um, he he was very into like agriculture and showing people how to plant crops and things like that. Um, and he was a son of Geb and Nut. He was a brother to Isis, who was also his wife. And to um, Nephthys and her husband slash brother, which was Set. Um, and so Osiris, he was just, he was, I guess he was probably quite well liked being the god of fertility um, and showing people how to, you know, have food. So mm -hmm. Set was kind of his darker counterpart and he was jealous of Osiris. Um, so he was like, hey, uh, Osiris, you should come and hang out with me. I made you this sick coffin, and I want you to get in it. <laughs> and so Osiris was, um, he was like, okay, sure, Set. I'll get in your coffin. It'll be cool. Um, and so Set nails the coffin and, and floats him down the river. And oh, yeah, <laughs> so Osiris dies. And Isis is like, where is my husband? And so she goes looking for him, and she's all, you know, she's worried. But she finds him. She finds the coffin in this tree, which I think is interesting because trees are like, yeah, <laughs> how did you get there? How long did how long did you have to be lost to, like, be in the middle of a tree? Yeah. Um, but yeah, she finds him there, and he's dead, obviously. Mm -hmm. But she has, like, this cool spell, and she, like, breathes life back into him um but that wasn't her only motive because then they have a kid together mm. and he promptly dies again oh um, yeah so 
That's interesting. I believe the kid that they have is Horace, though, and he is also um, pretty integral to the story. Mm -hmm. Um, But he dies again. And then and then Set finds out that like Isis found him and all that good stuff. And so Set goes looking for Osiris and he tears up his body into 14 pieces and scatters them all around Egypt as if killing him one time was not enough. Oh my gosh. Um and then Isis, I believe in some myths, she's aided by Nephthys because Nephthys feels bad for her, which is understandable, Set's being a jerk. But um, she's guided by Nephthys as she searches for all of Osiris's uh, parts. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a weird part that I found interesting that it was specified, but she's able to find 13 parts of him, but the last part that she cannot find is his penis. Oh, because it was eaten by fishes. Oh no! <laughs> so the Egyptians were like, you know what? We're not going to eat anymore fish. Oh, so it was taboo to eat fish in their time because of that. But fear not, um, Isis knows a thing or two because she's seen a thing or two. So she crafts crafts him a new one out of wood. Um, <laughs> and then they uh, they take all his parts and they bandage him up. And put him back together, um, which is why he's, you know, like part of him is looks mummified because mm-hmm. he's been bandaged together, mm-hmm. um, which I guess that is where some of that imagery comes from. And uh, he becomes the god of the afterlife, which is insane. And so he is seen as he's seen as the god of fertility and of the afterlife and the underworld um but he also is like known for keeping the cycle so mm-hmm. like the egyptians were like super into the cycle of things and rebirth and just life going on and so the fact that he is like responsible to them as the dude who keeps like the nile river flooded in certain seasons to keep uh crops like he i think um some imagery somewhere was that he like pushes up the crops from like from the underworld so that they'll sprout on earth um and i just found it very interesting that like we see life and death as pretty uh polar opposite mm-hmm. in our culture but in their culture it was it was kind of just one big circle and yeah. he's kind of the the center of that but yeah yeah, that was a really cool story. I knew the yeah. part about uh, Isis and the little mummification thing that she she did. Because uh, I did find some stuff about that when I was researching. But I did not know the full story. That was, that was, that was really good. Thank you for educating me. <laughs> I appreciated that. Um, And I also, looking through it, he also had a cult following. Which is... <laughs> Which is um, something that doesn't surprise me, but he, uh, his little culty followers had a festival for him, and it was around the time when they would start planting grains again, mm-hmm. and the grains was supposed to um, symbolize him, and I found it interesting because it was supposed to symbolize Osiris as the bread by which man lives, and I just... I saw a lot of 
now I believe this is before um Christianity might have been big or like Judaism or any of that but I just found it weird that there's some parallels between Osiris and Jesus because like Jesus mm -hmm. is supposed to be the bread um but instead the Egyptians see Osiris as kind of like he's the embodiment of life and death in that cycle whereas Jesus is kind of like supposed to have overcome it so it's very weird how different cultures and different religions uh look at that and perceive it and feel about it yeah yeah that is really cool and I definitely with like I did see some ties from the afterlife to the Christianity thing um mostly because of their depiction of heaven or like oh I forget what it's you remember what the depiction of heaven was called for the Egyptians um it was like the fields of uh, the field of reeds field or of something reed. yes yeah. yes yes um but I also found it interesting that they didn't believe in a hell. Like, they just believed if you were a bad enough person, you'd just be wiped off the face of the earth, never to exist again. You don't get you don't get to live a life in eternal torture, but you get to just not exist anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder if... I guess it makes sense in their culture. Like, you don't get to exist anymore. That's kind of the end of your road, which... Mm -hmm. I guess is dishonorable but at the same time personally if I were in their shoes and I was either going to be sent to some place like hell or Tartarus where like you know eternal punishment versus eh, my heart gets eaten it kind of seems a little a little <laughs> okay yeah and it was also common like back then with like the poor and the criminals they never got mummified they would just kind of be left in in a shallow grave in this go and pass judgment before your body isn't preserved anymore like, yeah uh they didn't which i get the i get the like the criminals part like makes sense but it's also sad that they yeah. didn't the poor people had a chance they're like sorry you, you you're too low on the ladder to go to heaven i remember i do remember reading about that and thinking I don't really know how their social structure worked, but it's funny that like even back then, the more higher up rich people, they, you know, they got the more elaborate mummification and, you know, I'm sure their tombs were top notch, yeah. but like, and like you said, they had to get to the hall of judgment before their body was um, deterior deteriorated or else they were just going to waste away in the duat. But, like, if they didn't have that type of mummification, like, the poor people, they had less of a chance to even get to the field of reeds. Yeah. Yeah. And also, I forgot to mention this with the soul thing. Um, basically, the reason that they wanted to preserve your body is so when um, the ka part of your soul, like, the one that goes through the duat, gets to judgment, and if they pass, they can find your body like they can actually recognize your body so that's why they wanted to preserve them so well so that when your ka got to the part where it could actually live an eternal life it would be able to find the vessel that it was once in and wouldn't be stuck going which of these dead bodies is mine that's crazy it, it's an interesting thought for a soul to be like hmm, which of these is mine and like it takes their own body or something like that
feel like that would weird me out like seeing myself dead and being like is that what I look like when I'm Yeah, alive yeah, I mean, I feel like you totally wouldn't look the same if you were mummified, so yeah, that would be pretty disconcerting. Um, Yeah. also, I wanted to talk about just a little how strange it is that um, Osiris was able to die and come back so much because he was a god when all of this was happening. And so I feel like in a lot of other mythologies, gods don't die. Yeah. They like they just can't. But the Egyptians were like, yeah, Osiris died like three times. It's okay. Yeah, they really heavily believed on like magic and spells and all that sort of things. Um, but yeah, it is really interesting how even the deities weren't like immortal. No. I think that just really adds depth to like how the Egyptians like saw life and morality like oh these are these great gods who basically created everything but they're still like us they can still die and I see like in other mythologies like Greek especially these gods go through different situations there are different myths telling about their low points and their high points and uh how they experience mortality too but I think this just takes it to another level like these people can die they're more similar to us than we may think Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's cool and that's reflective, I guess, of just the human nature of us to be like to make um to make these gods like us so that it's like, oh yeah, I mean like they're like us. They they're like really cool and they can get through the underworld and do all these cool things. And we're like them because you know they can die and we can <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. we're like we're twins twins I feel like like in my brain I'm comparing uh like the Egyptian gods to other gods of the like of different mythologies and they seem pretty pretty all right compared to the other cruel and Definitely. egotistical kind of ones that we see in other mythologies Yeah. I mean, in this particular myth, Set is definitely not very nice. Yeah, no. He is the god of war and chaos, so I guess it's Fitting. pretty up his alley. Yeah. I mean, I guess you couldn't really expect much less. But Osiris is, he's kind of chill, honestly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, he doesn't actually, aside from getting in the coffin and that kind of stuff, he doesn't really have much agency in this story himself. Um, but I know of the myths that I've read of how, like, the Hall of Judgment works. He just seems pretty chill. He's just there. And he's like, yeah, we're going to put your heart on the scale now. <laughs> he doesn't Yeah. <laughs> I love really seem I to, love my job. I love my yeah, job. he loves his job. He doesn't seem to be rooting against people, which is nice. That's comforting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you see like sometimes Hades, god of the underworld. I'm I'm bringing up Greek a lot because Yeah, I feel no, like that's that's something mm a lot of people are familiar with. -hmm. And uh with like Hades, he's seen as He can sometimes be like shallowly um, compared to as like a bad dude just because he's the god of the underworld. 
Mm-hmm. Or I feel like in a lot of other mythologies, they're like, ooh, death and destruction. No, Cyrus is just like, hey, y'all. <laughs> and I guess it, it bears mentioning that the Greek and the Egyptians were pretty close together. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot of sharing there. Like, uh, upon researching for this, there, I believe it was the goddess to them. Um, their goddess of magic was Heka or Hika, something like that. And the Greek goddess of like magic and uh, witchcraft and stuff like that was Hecate. So a lot of their a lot of their mythos is pretty intermingled, mm-hmm. um, including some aspects of their underworld. Like the Egyptians have a ferryman, and so do the Greeks. Mm-hmm. And um, I believe there is some crossing that you have to do that like in their tombs in the Egyptian mythology or not in mythology just in Egypt in their tombs they had to have some sort of payment for the ferryman or like they had to have a certain spell or something like that to tell him and he'll be like okay you can cross so yeah there is a lot of overlap there did you want to kind of mention what happens after the ferryman we've kind of been like dancing around the whole thing so would you like to explain the first step and I can explain kind of like the judgment thing? Sure, if I can remember. <laughs> okay. So I'll hop, in. I'll hop in if you need help. Okay, sounds good. So like after after death, they are going through the duat and they're trying to escape all of these crazy things that are coming after them, trying to kill them mm-hmm. after, you know, kill them more. And then don't they come to they come to the ferryman and they have to give him something or have something written down that they can recite to him and i think i, think I know what you're getting at there was like a list of 42 sins oh yeah and i'm not mm-hmm. sure if it was the ferryman or if it i think it might have been mott the guy i think it was before mott and you had to recite all of these sins Hopefully you had them written down in your little papyrus scrolls put into your tomb because mm-hmm. that's really how they remembered what spells to use to be able to avoid danger and eternal destruction before they were actually admitted into the field of reeds. Um, but you had to recite all of these and admit that, hey, I didn't do any of these sins. I'm a good person. You should weigh my mm-hmm. heart and find out, you know? I actually, I read through the 42 sins, and I think it's funny that there's, like, just 42 that made the list. They're like, yeah, these are it, these are it. Um, but I read through them, and, like, some of them were pretty just commonplace things that people do, and I'm like, would I have passed this? What like, was- I, don't, I don't think I'm a criminal or anything, but... Yeah, what was one, like sin that was not on there or was there one sin that wasn't on there that you were like that should have definitely been on a list of sins uh i'm trying to remember i'm not sure that i do that's a lot of sins to remember though so i don't i don't blame you yeah no i need my own papyrus scroll apparently (laughs) but yeah they would basically tell her hey i didn't do this you Mm -hmm. can trust me you can you can weigh my heart find out that it's good okay um, i i may have um accessed the great papyrus scroll 
no one knows Google. Um, so, I mean, some of them are obvious, like, I haven't stolen or murdered anyone. Like, those are some pretty obvious ones. Um, but one of them's like, I haven't uttered lies. Like, that... Uh, uh, that's a little little scary yeah i have made none to weep huh that's an interesting one like i that's weird that that's considered something that you could get your heart for realistically is anybody passing this is like the field of reeds <laughs> empty right like i know some of those pharaohs weren't like yeah no um i haven't made anyone cry yeah i'm a good i'm not stealing done mm -mm. no murder like okay i'm gonna jump straight in to kind of the judgment process mm -hmm. um and basically what happens is i believe anubis is there osiris is there uh mat is there if and soft was also mentioned to be there i think he's the one who basically like records what happens mm. um, and in some versions of the process i've heard that amit amit was actually there too amit is like my favorite part of this because she is so she's a baddie she's basically okay. like she's got a crocodile head and then okay. like a torso and the rest of her is a hippo and she basically like just eat souls like how how awesome is that and like that is <laughs> just like finding out like this these three uh animals are what the egyptians considered to be like the worst of the worst animals so mm -hmm. that's why they depicted her to be all three of those so people would basically fear her and not do evil things so that they wouldn't get their heart eaten anyways right so just in case they would get eaten or their souls would get eaten by this crocodile hippo lion thing. Right. But I think it's cool that that was that was, that was kind of her job. Like yeah. bad people stay away. <laughs> right? She's she's awesome. And I've seen like drawings and other depictions of it of like her mm -hmm. and I think that's awesome. I think it's awesome that she's a woman too like Yeah. They were like, yeah, we'll me give this. My, me and my female cool. rage would do that. Right? Yeah, you have, it's funny because it is kind of flipped. Like you have Osiris over here and he's just like, well, first you have Anubis and he's like, okay, you can like, he meets them in the lobby and he's like, okay, they're ready to see you. And he, <laughs> he brings you in there and Thoth's taking notes. And yeah. Osiris is like, yes, we shall put your heart on the scale. And Amit's like, can I have him, boss? Like, I'm ready. <laughs> Come on, hurry up. I'm hungry. I'm hungry. I wonder if they get a lot of traffic, like, in huh. there. If there's, like, a waiting line. Probably. Or... Oh, a lot of people died in a lot of crazy different ways back then. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, so, basically, <laughs> there is the scale. It's a big scale. Scale and big enough to place a human heart on. Mm -hmm. And so they would basically take your heart from your body place it on the scale and then they would take one of Amit's feathers which uh I've mentioned before but she was the goddess of judgment so seems right that they would use one of her feathers right um, 
and they would basically weigh the two. And if your heart was heavier than the feather, then you were deemed a sinful and a bad person, not worthy of going on to live an eternal life in the field of reeds. But if your soul was the same weight as the feather, I don't know if it was possible for it to be lighter. I've seen things said from different research sources, so I'm not completely sure, but I'm just going to say the same. Uh, wait, if your heart was the same weight as the feather, you were basically granted entrance into the field of reeds. In the case that your heart was sinful and heavy, Amit would basically eat your heart, which represented the destruction of your soul. So your soul was no longer eternal. Your soul just disappeared. So I know that they, like, they would go into the field of reeds after that if they were deemed worthy. Do you know what they did there? If they just hung out? If they, like, eventually were like, okay, time to go back as another person or something? Do you know? Um, a lot of things that I saw was just that they lived an eternal life there pretty much. So it's kind of like in comparison to a heaven of some sorts to them. Uh, there they could enjoy all of their things that they kept in the tombs with them. So say they brought along their pet, their pets would be there too. <laughs> if their soul was good enough, if it didn't <laughs> eat. That's crazy to think about. Like what if your pet travels all the way through the underworld and just you're not there what did what did what did spot do you know yeah what sins did spot commit no what? he was the goodest boy oh yeah i like to believe they believed in all dogs and cats go to heaven because right. they really uh worshiped their animals like they they really enjoyed their cats and dogs i know i enjoy my cat i would i would hope he was there anyways would you would you mummify peanut butter if that's what our culture did i would i would definitely mummify him and oh. get him placed in my tomb with me and the thing about the mummifying pets part i don't know if they did this like they already had a tomb prepared for you and when the pet died if they died first if they were placed in there or if they would kill your pets or if they would wait for them to die after you died. Like, I didn't um, see a lot on that. <laughs> well, also, you have to think about it. Like, what if, you know, you and your spouse are just going about your business and, like, you die and y'all have a pet together? And then mummify yeah, your pet. <laughs> it's like, dude, I still wanted that. Yeah, no. Shared custody. You'd have to make a little agreement. Yeah. Also, I think it, ooh, what if, like, couples were buried in the same tomb? Mm. I, I feel like, like that's, that's a thing. Reasonable. I feel like that's a thing, but I didn't really read up on it. But that would be sweet. That I'm would be sweet. Imagine. Only, only if they didn't, you know, have to go out at the same time. This is maybe not the best source, um, but I am, you know, Gen Z, so... Mm -hmm. Mr. Peabody and Sherman, the animated movie. Oh my god, yes. You Okay, so they go to Egypt, ancient Egypt, and I believe uh, one of the main characters gets, like, is courting King Tut when he's little. But, like, he Ooh. dies young. Yeah. And so she's, like, about to become his wife or whatever, and 
Mr. Peabody's like, oh my God, no, she can't do that because he dies young. And so when the Pharaoh dies, I believe his wife is like mummified with him, whether or not she's ready to go or not. Yeah, you're so, right. Yeah. So you're right. maybe, maybe DreamWorks knows what they're talking about. Um, if not, take it up with them, not me. But I think that's how that worked. Yeah, no, I definitely remember watching that too. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy that you brought that up. Um, <laughs> but that that is kind of crazy. yeah that's I mean that's commitment you know it's like I will like we we talk about in our vows you know till death does us part but they're like not nah, even in death which is kind of metal yeah You die, I die. We don't. We come down together. right Imagine if one of them passes <laughs> the judgment and the other one doesn't. yeah yeah Oh. that would suck Yeah, but basically what I just read up on is you pretty much just get to hang out with everyone and enjoy, enjoy nature. The weather's always good. There's no troubles. There's no worries. Pretty much just to give, get to live an eternal life. I didn't, I feel like there is kind of a reincarnation aspect I feel like that's something Egyptian mythology would kind of work in but again uh I didn't really heavily research Field of Reads um but that's kind of just what I got from it I remember there was something said, I believe it was the Ba that did it, but I could be wrong, that could, like, go back and forth between, yes yeah, so, like, they could kind of revisit just the living world if they were, like, feeling nostalgic or something, so I Yeah. thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, because the duat is basically just I went across apparently to get to the duat. Um so your little bird, I think you can separate yourself into the little bird you <laughs> in the afterlife and you can kind of just revisit the living world and go back and forth. It was the part of the soul that would kind of go in between which I also thought this was cool because if you still have people in the living world you can just kind of visit them I mean Yeah. the living people couldn't see you but Yeah. also uh read up not a lot but there was a temple uh and it was constructed specifically so there were these little uh ledges apparently where the little ba birds could sit on um to kind of watch their loved ones I know I know that you like birds and you like want a little pet bird if if you well like if you were an ancient Egyptian and you were like daydreaming about what your what your ba would be what kind of bird would your ba be oh my god okay ah <sighs> I really like lovebirds lovebirds are the cutest they're little tiny they look like little throwable things but <laughs> they usually come in solid colors I think I would be a lovebird Oh, I have not seen one, but they sound cute. Lovebirds usually come in pairs too. Oh, I think, I think my ba would, uh, probably, I really like crows Mm -hmm. because they are cool and they're smart and they like to bring presents and stuff. So I think I would want my ba to be a crow.
I could see that. I could I could definitely see that. Oh, you could bring little trinkets to your family. I could. Oh, that would be cute. Here's this gold ring I found on the ground. <laughs> and they're going to be like, what's this? <laughs> what's these? <laughs> yeah. Another thing about lovebirds is they're good in pairs, but on their own, they're a little snippy, which I Oh. think <laughs> that's kind of me. Okay. And because I'm like, like ideally, me and like one or two other people, like you've been with me at school, you know, me, you and Calvin all make a good little group. Uh, I feel like that's where I thrive best on my own. <sighs> things get rough. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah no I understand that I definitely do um I think it's also funny <laughs> now that you mentioned like how they are in pairs and stuff um how like a group of crows is called a murder so I think that kind of goes in nicely aesthetically with afterlife Yeah. kind of morbidly so but there's Look at a us. Look at us making little connections. I know look at us very Egyptian of us to make connections like that Yeah. so is there is there anything else that you'd like to talk about Let me see. I think that's a little bit like kind of it. cool I'm, I'm glad we got to talk on um just the Egyptian afterlife. It was a very cool conversation, very fun. Um, glad we got to just myth around a bit. Yeah. And hopefully, I don't know, maybe we'll do this again. Maybe we won't. If if not, it was such a pleasure getting to talk to you about this. It was. I was totally looking forward to this. Um, because during last semester's podcast, I was like, I really want to do one with Kalia. I think Yeah. I mentioned that to you. And We got our chance. yeah, we've got our chance. And it really it I feel like it really opened me up more to uh the Egyptian. Yeah. mythology world because I've always been interested in it but never really delved into it as much as I had uh, so what was your favorite thing to learn today Mm -hmm. Ooh. Hmm. I just, I think my favorite thing <laughs> was just seeing how excited you were about Amit. Because yeah she is I really love cool. her I love her <laughs> what about you? I really enjoyed uh the myth about Osiris. That that was that was really interesting because like like I said, I seen bits and pieces of the myth. I knew he died and came back to life via mummification. But like I thought the the tale about him and, and also why Egyptians don't like to eat fish was was very Yeah. interesting and very silly and very funny. <laughs> yeah. Uh yeah. Uh it's a roller coaster. Might explain why I don't like fish. Oh, it might. I um, <laughs> I'm a little worried because I do like fish, and so oh. I will think about that <laughs> oh now no. every Oh time. no.